Hello and welcome Hello to the broadcast, the broadcast, film photography film podcast, photography podcast. September, September 1st, 2018, 1st, 2018 show, show with the gang and special gang guest, special Mr. Guest, Mr. Phil Stebley Phil from thedarkroom.com. So please do stick around. Please do stick around. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Super positive. Uh, when can I pick up the pictures? Thursday. This Thursday. Okay, let me make a note of that. Gonna write it down there? Oh, uh, well, it's going to. Oh, yeah. well, then uh, let's say Tuesday. You mean two days earlier? No, five, five days, days later. later mm-hmm. I thought as much. If this customer were at a Photomat store, we'd be introducing him to our brand new picture pickup promise. Photomat's way of telling you exactly when your pictures will be ready. That quick? Sure, and if it doesn't work out, you get a free roll of film. Oh, no, 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 no. You get in trouble oh, for it's that. No I mean, problem. Yeah. Huh? It's a Photomat policy. The Photomat picture pickup promise. Is there a Photomat store around here? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie, for the caffeine. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Film Photography Podcast. Uh, my name is Michael Rosso, and I'm here with Leslie Lazenby. Hello, everyone. Mr. Matt Mirage. Hey, how's it going? Mr. Mark O'Brien. Hi, friendly people. And our amazing, super special guest, all the way from San Clemente, California, from thedarkroom.com, Mr. Phil Stebley. <laughs> On today's show, we're going to be talking about an array of topics, pancake lenses, the doctor will be in, Dr. Lens Baby. <laughs> Matt's going to be talking about something called Flex, and we're going to be reading a very special listener letter. So let's open it up by saying, hey, Phil, it's great for you to be here. I, I should let folks know at home that we are recording this from beautiful downtown Finlay, Ohio, from the Jones Mansion uh, during our FPP 2018 event. We do have a very small, select, awesome studio audience. They're super quiet, which is awesome. It's not a big, like... Phil, why don't you, you take it away and talk just a little bit about the darkroom. Before, because before we were uh, rolling tape, as they say, I was fascinated by the fact that the darkroom started in, in San Clemente and San Francisco. What is the actual history of the... The dark room. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and the gang here in beautiful Findlay, Ohio, at the Jones Mansion. My roots go back. Uh, my father was in the lab business, so I was kind of born into the photo finishing business uh, many years ago, back in the 50s, and have worked my entire life in the business uh, with my father's business, and then for uh, Kodak Processing Labs for about 10 years before venturing in with my partner Keith Swan to start what was called Swan Photo Labs in San Clemente, California. And our business was taking care of uh, servicing uh, camera stores uh, back in the day when camera stores were in every town, probably more than one camera store. What decade was this, Phil? We started the business Swan Photo Labs about 18 years ago, 17 or 18 years ago, uh, kind of at the the tail end of the heyday of film, where digital was was really coming on, and we were trying to adapt and figure out, you know, where where to go, and we really just doubled down on film. Uh, so over, we purchased a a lab in the San Francisco Bay Area called the Dark Room. Uh, about 15 years ago in order to take care of uh, servicing or camera stores uh, in 
the Northern California area. And uh, the darkroom happened to have the domain name, thedarkroom.com, which we thought, hey, that's a good name. We don't know what to do with it yet, but, you know, it's, right. it's pretty cool. So we operated that lab for a number of years before combining it with our lab in San Clemente as the business continued to decline in camera stores and film sales and photo finishing as a result continued to decline. But then after camera stores started closing, more and more labs started closing, so it became more and more difficult for people to find a reliable, steady, competent place to get good film processing. And the type of film processing, not just standard 35 color print processing like they might do in a drugstore, but E6 processing, black and white processing, push and pulling, uh, contact sheets, you know, the things that we all grew up with as film photographers. Anyway, over time, we, we developed a mail-in program, which is where Kodak started history. It was, you know, the brownie for a buck, and you know, you take, you, you push the button, we do the rest, I think was the motto, and you would mail the camera back in with the film and get it developed. They'd print it, reload the camera, and send it all back to you for a buck. So uh, we're kind of doing the same thing. It's a little more than a buck, but I guess in today's dollars, it's probably less. I don't know. <laughs> a dollar was a lot back at 1900 At any rate, as we, as the camera store business continued to decline, it was necessary, you know, for us to find another venue, another way to survive, to keep keep carrying things on. So we've we've maintained all of the services pretty much that we had originally started. We run dip and dunk process on all three processes, E6, True Black and White, and C41. And we can process we process everything from 110 film up to 8 by 10 sheet film in all of those processes. So and then, of course, because it's dip and dunk, we're able to do push and pull processing on all of those processes, which didn't used to matter, but more and more it is. Uh, our, our, uh, the, we see the volumes of uh, requests, particularly for push processing, have probably tripled or quadrupled just in the last year. Wow. People are experimenting a lot more with it. There are a lot more blogs and discussion about it. There's a lot of controversy, or a bit of controversy between some of the guys at Kodak uh, that say, oh, no, you can't push Portrait 400 or Portrait 160. You're not, it's not made to push. And the best photographers out there push it all the time. Pushing and, pushing and pulling is, uh, you know, something that you just can't do in any, any processing lab. Uh, it's, you've got to have the, the skill and the proper equipment to be able to do it. Again, that's that's kind of the background on on the darkroom. Uh, like, explain dip and dunk. Is it literally what it sound like? What is how it sounds? Is what it is? It 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 is fairly descriptive. Uh, dip and dunk processors were the first processors made for volume type of processing in labs way back in the day. So you would put the film on these racks, and then of course in the darkroom and the in the dark end of the dark room, you would strip the film, the paper backing off the film back in the day, 127 and 620 uh, and 120, uh, and then you would hang it with a, a lead clip on the bottom, and the, the, the machine would have these lifters and these chains that would pull the rack up, and it was all precisely timed in each of the, the process, each of the stages of development. Uh, so, 
that method has been tried and true. It is the cleanest method for photo processing for film because uh, nothing comes in contact with the negatives. The negatives are only in contact with the chemistry. Nothing, nothing else touches it. Whereas in modern day labs, as we moved on, it became continuous film processors where all the film would be spliced together in big giant rolls in mm -hmm. the dark and then run through these continuous machines. So there were squeegees that the film was running through and just many, many opportunities for scratches and abrasion abrasion to occur on film. So dip and dunk is simply the, the cleanest, uh, most precise way of processing. Uh, Leslie Lazenby has a question. Well, because it's dip and dunk too, and as I mentioned this in past, we're going to go back to that push and pull thing. If that's a continuous feed, really doesn't allow for changing the time on an individual roll or rolls that are hanging that are the same. So a lot of times the lab will say, we'll push it for you. They process it normally, and they make up for it in the scan. And so I was asking Phil when they came in, he says, we do dip and dunk, and I thought, yes, it's the real way. And that's, that's pretty darn awesome. Well, part of, you know, part of our theory, too, uh, as simple as it sounds, is, hey, you know, if we, can, if we can process film as perfectly as possible, aren't we going to get a better scan, better images, better prints from that then? So, of course, obviously the answer is yes. So it's a little bit of a self-serving thing to make sure the film is right on, the quality control is there. We, of course, run uh, control strips, and we do plots, and we do all the behind-the-scenes stuff that a that you would expect of a laboratory, and we are still a laboratory. We're a photo lab. Both a blend of science, craft, uh, people, a lot of people aspects to it. In our, in our small business, uh, we have over 500 years of experience uh, with our staff in the photo processing business. That means making a living developing film, 500 years. Uh, there's four of us old goats like myself <laughs> together we have over 130 years so you know these are these are people that have been in the business for their entire lives and as we bring new people into the company uh, and they they almost apprentice with a lot of these old timers so right. it creates an environment in the lab that's that's awesome because of the the different age groups and cultures excuse me Michael you have a question yeah, yes I do um, offline, we're talking uh, about some of your employees. Did you actually recruit some of the old-timers from various labs in the Los Angeles area? Like, you knew there were talented people who didn't have jobs anymore because of labs closing? Did, did you pull them in? Yeah, I think this is probably... This might be the secret sauce of the darkroom. Ah, and, and it is people. I, when we were servicing camera stores and labs throughout California, I would go out to all of these places. I knew all the owners. I knew all the, all the people because that was our business. 100% yeah. of our business came from wholesale work. And as business got tough and uh, people started shutting labs down, I was actively recruiting a lot of these former lab owners and people that, you know, that I knew and got along with and felt had a good 
the right kind of stuff to to help us, you know, build the darkroom. In a way, we, we benefited a lot from, you know, the decline of film in a lot of weird ways uh, by being able to recruit and bring on board some, some really great people that right. make it a pleasure to work. I wanted to ask uh, Phil a question about some odd formats. Are you still seeing APS come in, APS film? That's funny. You know, we, we see a lot of APS, and it seems to be growing. Uh, APS. <laughs> growing. Yeah. I mean, for I mean, the amount of work that we get, APS, it, it, it continues to increase. I mean, you know, we see many rolls a day, not hundreds, but, you know, we get more 110 than we do APS. Right. Uh, but any roll of film that's that's hidden and you can't see is a time capsule. And these things are wonderful treasures. I mean, it, it, we've all experienced it where you find a roll of film, you wonder what's on it, or you find a roll on Grandpa's old camera. You know, just the excitement and anticipation. You just don't know what's there. So it's, right. it, it makes it all, you know, just a, a tremendous amount of fun. Do you remember in... The 90s, when APS was introduced, do you recall the kerfluffle that happened amongst? <laughs> when APS was produced, I was at Kodak Processing Labs, and we were the only lab within Qualex and Kodak that was allowed to handle APS. Naritsu made a brand, a special printer uh, and scanner just for APS. It was a big deal. And frankly, our division made a lot of money over about a three-year period since we were the guys that everybody had to send it to. Oh, no kidding. I think APS was a missed opportunity. I still, I think it was a great format. Uh, they sold an FID printer at Best Buy for 100 bucks that you could hook up to your computer and you could actually put your APS film on your computer, all right? It was before you know, CDs and any of these other transfer systems, but it was lost in the the, the tidal wave of digital and the yeah. hoopla over digital. You probably know, but folks at home and folks here, if you go, if you search if you eBay search APS viewer player, there are devices that are made where you could insert the cartridge and it shows you your images on a screen. There exactly. are all sorts of kooky devices that were made to to view your APS film. Well, that was part of the 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 APS system was that magnetic coding and you know the different inf all the information that was carried within that film. Yeah. But again, the film resides within the cartridge so you can't as a customer or whatever look at those negatives without breaking it open right. and you know people find these old cartridges and they become separated over the years from the prints and here we are in business again making right. more prints and scans from APS so we get a second chance at a lot of APS film yeah Matt what is the tie-in APS because yes. if you're a dig, dig shooter uh, Matt of course uh, is at Midwest Photo Exchange yes uh, writing the hybrid of film and digital, mm -hmm. but you always hear APS sensor APS. Yes. What is? Do you know what the connection is? Yeah. So um, the a lot of the the most common larger chip that's going in a lot of uh, interchangeable lens or ILC cameras. They, they call them ILC now. So for DSLR and mirrorless at the same time. So it just kind of encompasses all of those. A lot of them have an APS-C sensor, um, and that's going to be 
similar to the size of the APS with that the C classic. There the is. classic, which is a four by six. Yep, the two by three format, and it's uh, pretty much everybody talks in APS terms uh, or APS-C terms when it comes to lenses and everything in the shop. Like you can almost always assume somebody has uh, has that unless they walk right to the pro counter. Then, then you know they're shooting full frame, and you can talk to them about that. But it's uh, that, that's kind of the tie-in. But then they start scratching their head again because the film shooter's coming in. That that's usually the last the last uh, camera format on their mind. But we do have one that's a conversation starter. We have uh, in in light of all those contacts cameras that are you know just insane price-wise now. Uh, we have the contacts IX, which is like the poor man's T2. It's a T2. That is APS only, and that poor camera. Everybody's drooling over it, and then they're like, "Oh, it's APS pass." <laughs> Young film photographers who discover the format are going a little kooky over it, and that's why you're seeing an increase. Because I think, as someone who's just starting to shoot film, and when you discover that it actually exists, and how kind of awesome it is for what it is, I think folks are going to eBay and buying the film, and of course, you know the few. Uh, SLR cameras that are out there, the Canon, the Minolta. Um, are there any folks here that shoot APS at all? Okay. What are you shooting on? Which camera? A Vectus. Oh, a Vectus, SLR. Minolta Vectus. SLR. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how often are you shooting? I was shooting them this morning. Okay. <laughs> this is uh, nice. Ken Mitchell, right? Yeah. Ken uh, was just telling us he's shot this morning. It's, fa it's fascinating. I love APS. I just want to shout out... Uh, you guys have never done me wrong. I, I love sending my, my big sheets there. I know it's always going to come out just beautiful. And even uh, of the labs that have dip and dunk tanks, um, you guys are really forthcoming about, like, oh, this clip. Yeah. Uh, I think one time I got an email, like, oh, this clip, it looks like it went a little too far over. And I'm like, no, this is perfect. Like, other labs seem to be really sloppy, getting it clipped, it, clipped on the machine, and they're always great. And, and that's the point, because Matt and I have shot, I've shot for years, Matt shoots, we're kind of precise about things, and we have, we <coughs> love recommending the darkroom mm -hmm. to our customers. The culture that I think Keith and I have worked very hard to create at the darkroom is that we own our errors, we own our mistakes, and nobody should ever be afraid to bring things up, because we learn from that. We're human. There's, there's, a roll of film or a sheet of film goes through so many hands and so many steps before it's delivered to the customer. It's 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 pretty remarkable. As long as you have people that you know care, which I think we very much do. There were, most of the people in our lab are shooters, uh, and if a mistake comes up, nobody's punished for it or anything. You know, it's it's we, we need we well we need to own it. No, I've been in labs in prior years in the past where people would damage a lot of film and hide it or just all kinds of things and you can't have a, a culture like that. It's because called Trackman Effect. Yeah. You, we, we wouldn't be having this love fest if we didn't get the feedback. Yeah. I mean, not, not just from Matt and us, no, just but all everybody. of our listeners. Yeah. And I've gotten so many emails of saying how much they love the lab. So, it, it, you know, that's where it comes from. It, it's really coming from you guys. Oh, Mark O'Brien. Well, I always get questions from people locally who say, where can I send my film? And I said, well, if you want to try a local place, which there's very few anyways, I said, send them to the dark room. I said, they're online. You can find all the information you want. It's easy. 
and the price is really good, and the quality is excellent. So right. there you go. And also, Phil, uh, if I could say, you're a, a super cool cat, as they say. And I say that because, you know, we, we know there are other labs out there, and we talk about them, too. It's not, you know, it's, 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 you, you, you guys are always just so uh, mellow about just about everything. Get the job done beautifully. What can I say? Cheers all around. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks so much, Mike and the gang. It's, running a lab is a lot of work. It's, uh, it's not a 40-hour week, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so rewarding because, uh, you know, just coming out here for fun. I mean, so I'm, I'm living my work, right? Right. You right. Know, also, how many people are able to do that in their careers, live, live what they do? I know you yeah. do, Mike. Yes. You know, it becomes inter, you know, interweave within, with your whole life, you know, cameras, film, and a, the community, too, which is the biggest thing and the biggest thrill that I get out of being affiliated with a group like FPP is the people. Just like yeah. I said in the lab, it's the people that make the darkroom the darkroom. So, uh, again, thank you, Mike, for inviting oh, me and, uh, and for Leslie for hosting this, this great so event here in Finley. As Nico says, a Nico photo news, and now the bad news. <laughs> now the bad news. This uh, is well, we were, we were talking about the fact that you guys, if there's an error, you guys own it. Uh, and you had also mentioned that you have two employees that are just... You just ruined my lead-in. Oh. <laughs> well, Cut great. it. Good Cut it, Michael. These things. So now I turn the microphone over to <laughs> Leslie Lazerby. Actually, this, this would be uh, almost a doctor's segment. If you know the doctor is in, Mike gets many, many questions a week, and he filters them to any one of us that mm-hmm. have a specialty in that. And mine usually involve uh, film errors and things like that. And this is just kind of a general one. And uh, someone had purchased some bad film. That's the header. It's the header. I got some bad film, man. We don't sell bad film. Oh, that's film. in the bad film section of the website, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, put that in the search engine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just had my, I just had my film that I ordered developed. And it was retrochrome. We know that's an expired, older, ectochrome mm-hmm. type of film. There were three or so wide blotches caused by light exposure across the film, and it ruined half of my exposures. Some blotches, and he goes on to spread here, or she goes on to fade it away within other exposures. I believe this occurred before the film was rolled and shipped to me. That is darn near impossible. For, for Kodak product, it is. Yes. And... Then he has a little continuation on. When the doctor gets this, the questions start. How was it handled? How was it stored? Who had access to the camera? There's a lot of questions, a lot of customer service that goes on with this. And Mike actually just forwarded this letter to me actually right now. So there's not been any communication. There is, there is customer service behind it. And there are a lot of questions behind it because we do truly want to find out what's going on. Uh, yeah, we want to help the film photographer. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a battery of questions to it just, ask. It just starts, to exactly. figure out, and that's, you know, where if we had the costume, we'd be put, putting our sleuth hat on in our pipe right now because we have <laughs> to start troubleshooting. Like, okay, so clearly this uh, um, light leak happened somewhere and there's a reason behind it. And I, I want to find out where it is because I don't want it to happen to him yeah. again. And who's going to get blamed is the, the word blame. That's a big word because 
you know, we're all human and we all need to blame something. <laughs> it happens somewhere, but can we blame ourselves? No, it's got to be the lab. It's got to be that film, that retrochrome. You guys must expose the heck out of that before yeah. you roll it. Mm-hmm. So, but, but for if this is a new shooter, just not experienced enough to really grasp the concept of the big picture. And another situation, shooter in the house, your kids don't always know about those film cameras. So fun to look inside and see the images. I've so. seen it. <laughs> see? So there's, there's just all these questions that I would ask. And I am sure that if we get X number of these a week, how many do you get? There's situations where you've got to do some troubleshooting, too. I'm sure you have employees devoted to that. Full-time people that work our help desk. Uh, as you know, we don't offer a phone number. We do everything by email. Uh, and it works out extremely well, partly be, mainly because my partner Keith and I can view and review every single customer transaction that goes on. We can see how we responded, how long it took us to respond, you know, nuances of that response. If it isn't perfectly accurate, you know, we're able to keep growing and improving by, by having that visibility. When you're on the phone, uh, somebody's on the phone, you know, it's touch and go, it's impossible to reach people by phone anymore, people don't use voicemail anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, you got no history, the next person has no idea what the other person was working on, so our systems worked very well, and uh, our customer service is in the, our help desk is in the middle of the lab. Uh, Carrie runs, Carrie is our customer service manager, and she she hound dogs everything. Uh, Carrie has my utmost respect. It's been more than once I've seen Carrie out in these big giant dumpsters in back of our lab, digging through, looking no for customer way. stuff. You betcha. All on her own, she'll climb, out, climb into the dumpster looking for film. Uh, she didn't find it. But and, and, and there was an instance where she went out the next day and researched again, went through the trash again looking for a roll of film. So those are the kind of people we have and, and just, you know, treasure at, at the darkroom. Uh, but again, the customer service, yeah, we get, I mean, we can get 100 inquiries a day on our help desk. So it's a constant Whoa. flowing. And now on Facebook Messenger, we get a lot of help desk type questions on Messenger. So we have to follow that. But it's our, it's incumbent on us, I think, to meet the customer the way they want to be meted, you know, and, 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 and try to respond quickly and, yeah. and completely with, with the questions that come up. I, I have to tell you, because I'm the guy personally rolling the film and handling all the film, you know, when I get an email like that, it, I almost feel like the customer doesn't want to hear that they're to blame for the light leak. Well, sometimes not. I mean, you know, we all, we all have different moods, and I mean, sometimes we <laughs> get upset. I mean, you never know. We're all human. Yes. And part of it with folks is... Uh, Maybe they want to vent, you know, that you let them blow oh, off, yeah. you know, and then, but be sincere and get to the bottom of it and see if you can help, yeah. you know, see what you can do. Uh, you can't fake it because it doesn't work. Uh, you've just, you know, some people are tougher to deal with than others. In our many years of being in business, we have never, ever been contacted by the Better Business Bureau 
until last month. Yeah. <laughs> and it blew me away. Here's a guy, he's a professional photographer shooting portraits with E6 film from Southern California, trying to allow for the first time. He hated the scans, this and that. Send it back, we'll rescan it. No, you should do it right the first time. You know, I shouldn't have to, you know, just arguing every point. And then he sent them back, we rescanned it, and long story short, he wrote this two-page letter to the Better Business Bureau. And then we responded and wrote another letter back and just trying to resolve this thing. Anyway, it went back and forth for like a month. And I, I you know, it just brings up that question. I, I'm not sure. I have to see if he remains a customer because I haven't heard anything else back. I think it's resolved with the Better Business Bureau. Maybe but you don't want him as a customer. Well, <laughs> I, maybe not, but I want to understand, you know. I... I I want people to love what we do. Yeah. You know, so if somebody doesn't, then I want to get behind that. I want to know about it, and I want to see what we can do to fix it. Yeah. You ever have to have uh, the customers send, us, like, a picture of what they're talking about or send the negative shot? Once they get their stuff back, do they have to send images to you? You know, if there's an issue, oftentimes we'll ask the customer if they, if they wouldn't mind to return the negatives back to us. Uh, so we can review them. Again, it's a learning process and understanding, and uh, we, we can tell a lot. I mean, we have pretty yes. good detectives in the lab. Uh, oh. You know, somebody will say, well, this was misprocessed. And we say, you know what, if you look at the edge markings, yes. you know, the edge markings don't lie. Or we can put it to a densitometer and make sure if that was, if you asked it to be pushed one stop, I can check it on a densitometer and see if it was in fact pushed. So, you know, we, we, we have ways of, of looking at this, and it isn't a matter of trying to catch somebody doing something. It's a matter of informing and learning uh, internally because it's all about continuous improvement. Right. If you're not constantly learning and growing and improving, you're going the other way, right? I mean, there's no way to just stay right. stay still. So you got to keep got to keep chugging. Yep, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> Give the kid a break. That's great, doctor. Are you done? I'm all finished. Yes, I thank feel you. Better. Wow. Do you? No, Good. that was great. Loved hearing that. Yeah. We're going to talk about lenses a little bit, and uh, we're going to turn the mic over to Mr. Mark O'Brien. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you need a Mr. Brown? Wake yeah, up, Mike. I do. I need a Mr. Brown. Uh, Let's take a break for a second. Anthel the Yeezys. Yes. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. After the Cosca Fest. Own it. Isn't that wild? I just took four flash pictures without changing bulbs. With Slovenia's fantastic new invention. The blue dot flash cube. Just pop one on any new flash cube model camera and shoot. With the Sylvania blue dot flash cube, you're always ready for the great shots that used to get away. So I bought lots of them. Maybe I'll stuff Christmas stockings with them. Oops. What about regular flash cameras? Sylvania blue dot flash bulbs. When the dot is blue, the bulb is good. Blue dots for sure shots. So for regular flash cameras, blue dot flash bulbs. And for new flash cube model cameras, blue dot flash cubes. Sylvania blue dot flash bulbs or flash cubes. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Hey, we're back. <laughs> hey, Matt. 
Hey. I don't even know what this is. Maybe you could like help me understand. What is a Hassy Flex? Well, I I'd only I'd <laughs> never seen one of these things in the wild in the wild until um, a little bit ago at Midwest Photo. And uh, you know, people we have a lot of FPPers contacting uh, Midwest through uh, through our contact form on the website. Uh, a lot of classic FPPers been sending in stuff for use quotes and just checking to see if we have cameras and. This crazy thing moseyed on in. This is the Hasselblad Flex Body. It's whoa, Ooh, that's juicy. Yeah, no, it's it's sweet. Um, Hold that up, man. It's kind of a, a mixture of, of a view camera and a Hasselblad. So it's a it's it's V mount. So it takes the um, the Hasselblad lenses that go for the 500 500 cm. Uh, it takes the same backs, but the biggest difference is it has this giant bellows on it. Bellows. Um, it allows for rear standard tilts oh and uh, tilt and a little bit of rise fall. So this is a great architecture camera. Mm -hmm. You can correct those straight lines on there, and you can have a little bit of that tilt shift effect with it. Um, it's a very precise camera, and I really want to love it. Uh oh. Well, you want to love it, but I, you don't. I, I, maybe I just need to put more film through it. Okay. Maybe that's it. It needs more love, but I'm am getting used to the process. I'm trying to, but let me get, let me give you a demo of how like what all goes into it because it's not just a standard Kathunk Hasselblad. We're done. There's there's a few very different steps that go into it. So first off, you have you've got your lens. That's, that's pretty standard. You mount that on there. Where's um, the camera? Where's the camera on there? The camera is, is on there. Oh, my God. On the back, you have a ground glass, just like a, a view camera. Yes. On that ground glass, you can add any smokestack or prism finder that yes. you want, or just use it like a you know adorable view camera. Yeah. Put like Amazing. a Barbie dark, dark cloth on it or something. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Ansel Adams, Ken. I'd, I'd buy that. Anyway. Um, so... You put your ground glass on eventually. There we go. So now I can view through it because I've opened up the lens. You have to cock and open the lens at the same time. Once I view, I make all my changes, all my settings. Then there's so many steps. My He's removed the viewfinder. I removed, yes, I've removed the viewfinder, the ground glass. Where's my cable release? There it is. Okay. Is Got that a vintage item or brand new? This is a very modern item. Uh, okay. This, this was uh, alongside the late model. SWC, like the 900 series. So these were very current. You probably still get new old box models of this for way too much. Um, so after that, you have to close the lens with like a half press of your cable. So half press closes that down. And then the lens is still cocked and ready to fire. Now I put my film back on. Not going to because there's film in there right now. But you put your film back on and then remove the dark slide and fire. So it's a lot of effort. If it was a gun, it would be a musket, right? Yes, <laughs> it's definitely a muzzle loader, and it, feel, it really does feel like that. That's a great analogy. And the film back takes 120 roll film. It, yeah, standard Hasselblad back. So you do 120, 220, whatever you got. Okay, okay. It comes with viewfinder masks, and the ground glass is gridded for four by the 645, or, or if you wanted to do something smaller, like the super, uh, the super slide four by four mask. Right. The the thing I don't like about it, well, initially, is the steps are, they feel like a view camera, but it's kind of opposite because you're doing this like, this odd, I have to twist this twice to open and then cock the lens, and then you have to do this kind of awkward step where you close but not expose. Ooh, mm -hmm. close but not expose. Maybe I should write a manual for this. Yes, Leslie? How far do you have to tear it down to do a second shot? Yeah, exactly. Taking the back off, putting the gla ground glass. So it's not an S... The, 
it made me, bus. It made me realize <laughs> you're going to view camera lengths for yes. not view camera shots. So it's a lot to get to the tilt shift. Um, correction on there, but for architecture guys, oh, this is no problem. Answer my question. What was the application? Architecture, interiors. The there was a. Um, I know a couple of the schools out in uh, in Illinois were still using these um, in their their digital lab, and that's the key point too. This will, since it takes modern V series lenses, uh, it'll also take the digital backs like the CFV and stuff. And we have a CFV at work. I've, um, I'm going to test it with that back. But I, I'm guessing that's going to be a little bit easier because you have live view. There's no cocking or anything involved there. You just view it, and it's good. So um, it's, it's a beautiful camera. Uh, precision takes some of the best lenses in medium format. So um, I love it on that fact alone. But uh, I think this will be not a camera that Lauren has to get mad at me about. Okay. I have a question. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> Hasselblad made little masks for cutting your own six by six sheet film mm -hmm. things. Did, would that take those? It, did they look like this? Yeah, they look just like that. Yes. <laughs> then yes, this did take the little okay. sheets. Or if you were so inclined, you could take one of the 10,000 glass plates that Leslie has and Brunge it up and put some wet plates in it. Oh, <laughs> brunge it up. up. Love it. Don't tell me I, I said that. Where is it? Here somewhere. Yeah. Should anyone want to ever do that? I have do have boxes of glass. Thousands. <clears throat> little gems. Little gems. Very nice. Come to you for the cost of the uh, way to ship those darn things. But I'm guessing uh, this is probably still available at Midwest Photo. Hit me up. Is uh, that yours or is that Midwest? No, this is Midwest. I can't afford this. Okay. Is that heavy. It's no, it's very, it's pretty light, but it's awkward. Oh, okay. It's, I was just thinking it would be Jurassic so Park if it's heavy. What kind right. of price tag, it's, Matt? It's We're talking. Point. Uh, yeah. about buck two ninety eight. Um, buck two, buck two eighty. Mm, just under two buck. Yeah. Two oh. grand. Oh. Yeah. Just under two grand for the body. <clears throat> for the not, body. Not body. including the lens. No, no, that's a five thousand dollar lens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give that back. <laughs> and it does have the modern uh, Hasselblad quick release. So if you have the new Arca Swiss uh, pass, head, man. it'll. <laughs> here. Can I get no, I saw it already. Can okay. I get, can I get card? Oh, no. Thank you, Bat. Yeah, thanks. A few years ago, I saw that Canon released a new lens. It was called a Pancake 40 millimeter f2.8 lens. And at that time, I only had like, I don't know, three, four, five EOS bodies at home. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I just, it wasn't that expensive. No, you called Super me cheap. when this happened. Oh, I remember I the call. Oh, Leslie, got to see this lens. Pancake. Do I get it? Do I get it? Should oh. I buy it? Well, what do you think I told him? Of course you should. Yeah, buy it. Get I it. I bought it, and I, it is, it's it's just a great little lens, and it's called a pancake lens. And that's our next topic that Mr. Mark O'Brien, now that you're all uh, energized by the Mr. Brown iced coffee. Mr. Brown. It's a classic. By the way, I, I, I couldn't. Did you stash the Mr. Brown? What? I couldn't find any. Oh, it's in there. It's in the case. It's in the, the, in the case. Okay. Oh, I, don't, I don't need one. It's like but this. Okay. okay. So you're going to give us an overview of what oh, yeah. a pancake lens is. What is a pancake okay, lens? Okay, pancake lenses are best. Are they all made by Canon? No, 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 no. It's just a de general designation. <laughs> really, it's just a lens whose barrel length is actually shorter than the focal length. Okay. 
And uh, so they're generally short-barreled lenses, um, normal to slightly wide, usually in the range of 40 to 50 millimeters. Um, 50s are little... I've only got one exa- two examples of 50s, and I'll talk about those separately. But And they tend not to be very fast because you need a lot more glass. for, And mm-hmm. so to have that, you need a different lens set up. So they tend to be um, in the range of F2 to 2.8. So by mount, um, yes, the Canon EF mount, 40-millimeter Canon STM lens. That's what I have. Which you have, yeah. So if you have a Canon EOS film camera, you can use this. I have a nice 40-millimeter um, pancake on the front of it. Someone might ask, oh, why, why is there a pancake anyways? Number one, it makes the camera much smaller in profile. So if you want to have a, a camera uh, in your bag and you don't want to take up a lot of space, you're traveling, for example, or, or just want to walk around a lens to have, a pancake lens is a good choice. If you take a 50-millimeter 1.4 or whatever, you'll see and compare it to a... 50 millimeter pancake lens, you'll see a huge difference in how far that lens extends. The Canon EF 40 millimeter, new, they're about 180 bucks. Uh, used, they're now 90 to 120 or so. Now, there are other pancake Canon lenses, but again, they're for digital cameras. One of the favorites is the Konica AR, the Hexanon 40 millimeter F1.8. That's the fastest pancake lens that's out there. And those are a good buy because they range from about 30 to 60 dollars used on, on the bay. Konica is not a, necessarily a amount that's used a lot by a lot of people, so the lenses that are out there, usually you'll find them attached to like a one of the auto reflex TCs or whatever, and uh, they're usually pretty cheap. Uh, Minolta had a lens I've had, MD lens, Rocker X, 45mm f2. Those are ranging the price range about 25 to 50 bucks um, on the bay. That's a, That is probably the least pancakey of the pancake lenses I think it extends a little bit further out than the others but yeah it's still a, a pretty nice lens um, I've shot with that quite a bit I've also shot with the Konica AR lens it's that's a very nice lens in the Nikon world originally the first Nikon pancake lens was a 45 millimeter f2.8 non-AI GN lens and that stands for guide number lens and what that was used for for people doing photojournalism the guide number meant indicate the guide number of your flash on the lens and would automatically compensate for with that with a proper f-stop for whatever distance you're at and it's a little bit of trickery that one of the things I don't like about that lens is that for focusing it turns the wrong direction for all the from all the other Nikon lenses oh. Um, but it's a very it's a very thin lens. Um, unless you've had it modified, it only works with non-AI cameras, so you have to have the little bunny ears on it, and you have to fit it with a, a Nikon F. Or you can put it on a, uh, a plain prism Nikon F or F2 and, and run it that way. And you can use it in stop-down mode if you have it on a Nikon F3 or an FM, and you flip up the little um, tab for, for the aperture indexing. Nikon then later came out, oh, probably in around the year 2000 or so, 2001, with a 45 millimeter f2.8 AIS P lens, and those run those are expensive. Those run about 400 dollars. The P means it's actually coupled electronically. If you have a a, a modern digital camera or or um, autofocus Nikon, it can read that the aperture readout um, electronically in the camera. So. But it'll also work with any other Nikon camera. Those are very nice lenses, but again, um, they're, like as I said, they're pricey. Probably the best 
bargain for a, uh, a pancake lens is the Nikon 50mm f1.8 Series E lens. Ooh, yes. That is really a very underrated lens, my friends. Um, there's actually two versions of that. Yes, Leslie? Seriously? A Series E? Series E. Times have changed. <laughs> I'm done. Okay, I'm there's actually two versions of that lens. Okay. There's one that says Series E, and within mm-hmm. that Series E, there's different um, levels of plastic plasticness. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and you want ones the ones with the least amount of plastic in them. But in Japan, they re, they issued a version of that same lens that does not say Series E on it. It just says Nikkor lens. It's, as far as I can tell, everything is the same except the build of the of the lens body is all metal. While the Series E lens may run from fifty to a hundred dollars, and sometimes often less than that, mm-hmm. um, the J- Japanese version starts at one hundred twenty dollars used on online. You can find you can find them; they're, they're relatively abundant. But they look nice. It just says Nikon or uh, Nikkor lens on it, uh, fifty millimeter f one point eight. Dimension wise, it's the same as the Series E lens. And then if you go from another manufacturer, Voigtlander. Um, they had one called the 40 millimeter Voigtlander Ultron. It too had a chip in it, so you could use it with uh, modern film or digital cameras. It's very pancakey. Uh, it's f2. It's also about 500 bucks. So, um, but it's uh, as I've read and I've not tried one. It's one of the sharpest lenses out there at f2. So that's something to consider. Now another popular pancake lens is the Pentax K mount, the the um, Pentax M 40 millimeter 2.8 manual lens. That is actually a very good lens. I, some people kind of kind of poo pooed it. They'll say, "Oh, it wide open. It's not as good as it could be." Blah blah blah. Well, I'm sorry. At f2, very few lenses are as good as they could be. But the thing is, it's it's compact. It's very it's very um, short. And you put that on a Pentax ME, and you've got yourself a really a real street warrior with you there to go out and shoot with. They're excellent. It's an excellent lens. And they were made from, like, 1976 to 1984. The prices have gone up amazingly online. Thank you, all you mirrorless camera shooters, because <laughs> you're driving the prices of the lenses way up. Um, they go from 125 to 180 bucks each now. Mm-hmm. They used to, it used to be you could hardly give them away. When I had one, it was one of my favorite lenses. And then we go into a really oddball one for screw mount cameras. There's not too many choices. There's oh, only one choice. Demonstration. We have the Russian Indostar 52. It's a, it's a 50 millimeter lens, f3, f3.5 maximum or widest aperture. And it really is a little pancake lens. You put this on a, on a Pentax Spotmatic, and it's like this little bump on the front of the camera. If you've used any of the Lomo branded Russian Lomo branded cameras. It's pretty much going to be a very similar lens on these. And as I understand it, this is pretty much a copy of the of the Elmar lens on Leica's. The there's a a version of this which you find on thread mount Russian cameras rangefinders, which is the where the has got a big extension of the body from the base lens. Those are not pancake, but the 35 millimeter SLR version is the pancake. I'll pass that around. You guys can look at it. It's a very sharp lens. F3.5 is great. It's got great contrast with it. You can buy them for, you know, pocket change, basically. What's a, what's a, t- like, give an example of some camera bodies that would take that. It would, it would fit a Spotmatic body. It would fit uh, any of the Russian Kiev. Any any camera with a with a M42 screw mount body, some of the old Ricos, some of the old um, Cosina cameras, things like that. There's a bunch of them out there. And it makes for a very, 
very compact lens. And the funny thing with all those cameras are kind of bulky, and you put that little lens on it, and it's like there's nothing there. So it's pretty amazing. We don't think too much about pancake lenses on rangefinder cameras, but there is one. Voigtlander has a color Scopar 35mm f2.5, and that is a true pancake lens. It, it looks great on a Leica M-mount camera. Uh, it's about $410. The, the good thing about pancake lenses, they make your SLR a lot more compact. You can carry it around with you. They don't get caught up in your camera bag on things. Um, that 40 to 45 millimeter, it's not really wide angle, but it's pretty close to normal. Uh, so it makes it kind of a, actually a really good street camera lens. And, and of all of them, I'd say the Minolta is probably the, the least pancake-ish, and then the, the Pentax K and the Canon EF are the most pancake-like. This looks like a body cap on it. It does, yeah. That's great. Isn't that great? And you adjust the F-stop right on the front of the lens. There's a little it's right, a on the, right, little on the, right around the yeah, lens that there. Oh, look at that. that. Yeah. What does this cost? It's a Indistar 50-2. And what is it about the cost of this? Probably 25 bucks. What? Yeah. So, are there smaller, are there smaller Pentax bodies that would take this? Like the, this body's kind of big for this. That's guy. that's pretty standard, you know. That's the Pentax Spotmatic. Can you get an adapter to put this like on an ME or a much smaller body or? Now? Yeah, you could you could put a screw mount to K mount adapter on that, and that would fit on the ME. Yeah. It would not have any aperture. There's no diaphragm stop down from the camera. You got to close it down to the, your shooting diaphragm. Okay. So um, you can live with it. So, yeah, it's a very compact lens, and if you want to, uh, it's kind of funky. If you look carefully, you can find uh, a, a little lens cap and hood for them. They're available here and there. Okay. So that's all i got to say about anyone have questions about Does anyone pancakes? have questions about anything? But Leslie, I want to apologize yep. about my comment earlier. About? E-Series, you know. Oh. The, I, at working retail, it's different vibe, but we can't keep E-Series lenses in stock just because kids coming in, they can, you can buy a whole set of E-Series lenses for under 200 bucks. put it on your, your FM, at least if they're getting a decent camera body on it, but they're good. Right. Mark, thank you. In addition to all the information on pancake lenses, I also learned that Pancake is not only a noun, but it's a verb and yeah. an adjective as well. Yeah. You go. <laughs> thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Uh, that's about it for this show. Uh, I want to thank uh, the, the usual suspects for, you know, chit-chatting. What show? About these awesome topics. And especially thank Mr. Phil Stebley for coming all the way from uh, San Clemente, California. To sit in on not only this show but what show? For, yeah, for but for our, our weekend. So thanks, Phil. Thank you, guys. Uh, of course, as always, a podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. We're on all those like you know hot social networks, not Snapchat, <laughs> not <laughs> Matt, not Vine. We're not on Vine. That's right. That's dead. There is no Vine. Yeah. But uh, all the other ones, the Instagram, the MyFace. My all, face, that, all, my that, face. <laughs> all that stuff you can find us at either Film Photography Project or Film Photography Podcast. Of course, you can go over to thedarkroom.com and check out their website. They're also on Instagram, very active Instagram. And uh, oh, yeah. we hope to see you probably pretty soon. So thanks. Okay, we're out. I want to thank everyone for sitting in on this show. Thanks, Mike. Awesome.
Yeah. Yeah. For folks who have been listening, you the name Darren Ballard Riley, everyone knows. Sure. Such great hits as No Pockets, Dead Jennifer. Today I have two brand new songs that have never been broadcast before. The first one is called B, B-E-E, and then following that, Computers. I'll be your drone 